0: Welcome, welcome, welcome. Part two of a series called Jesus Is. If you were not here last week, please go get the CD or go watch online. It would be really, really foundational to kind of watch that opening message. But we're talking about Jesus. Jesus is, if if nothing more, Jesus is pretty fascinating. On a historical scale, he just is is a bit much. When you think about, this is a man who was born to a teenage mom and a construction worker dad about 2,000 years ago. Humble beginnings. Never never traveled more than a few hundred miles from home uh, never held a political office, never held a military position, never ran a business, never wrote a book you're like, what about the Bible? He didn't write that I was his followers wrote that, and yet this person I mean all of history hangs on his life, and we throw our entire calendar based on his life you got b c That's before Christ you got. A.D., which is not after his death, but it's, it's, it's a Latin term, meaning the year of the Lord. And so you, you, you have this historical figure, Jesus, and, and people, look, at, he, he's not legend either. You've got extra biblical sources, these different historians that go and cite Jesus as a historical figure. But he's fascinating, if nothing more. And last week we learned that he called himself the Son of Man. That, that's the way he referred to himself. He goes, I'm the Son of Man, which was a reference to this old prophecy in the book of Daniel that talked about someone who would come to make all things right. When he was hanging out with his disciples, he finally asked them, he goes, hey, who do people say that I am? And they had all kinds of different views, which is true because when we go poll people, if we ask people, who is Jesus? We get a number of different answers. He finally turns to his disciples and says, but who do you personally say? Which has got to be the most powerful question, because at the end of this life, what matters most is not what other people said about Jesus. What will matter most is what you said about Jesus. And, and, and Peter comes up with the most brilliant response, and he goes, well, Jesus, you are Messiah, which was this, again, this ancient term they had used for the one who would come to make all things right Jesus is Messiah. That's what disciples thought. That's what Jesus called himself. And so here we have this figure. But again, I still think even though Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, even though his disciples said he was the Messiah, even though you've got all the biblical records and you've got all that's there, let's be honest, for most of us, Jesus is still a bit confusing. Hard to fully grasp, wrap our mind around. And so... I find this to be true not just in today's culture, but back then they had the same confusions. As a matter of fact, if you have your Bible, why don't you go to Mark chapter 6, because today we're going to look at, we're not going to read the entire chapter, we're going to look at it at a big glance, the entire chapter of Mark chapter 6, because the, the interesting thing about this chapter is that in it, it's a big chapter, but there are four different people, four different places, and they all had a different version of Jesus. They all filled in the blank a little bit differently. They all thought Jesus was something. And here's what was, was amazing about this one chapter is they were all right. They were all wrong, and it, it happened all at the same time. They, that, that, that's confusing, isn't it? They were all right. They were all correct. They were all completely wrong at the same time. and all, it, it was just they were confused. So in Mark chapter 6, and here's what you're going to see today. The reason why people find Jesus confusing many times, and as you'll see today, the reason why they found Jesus to be confusing, meaning they had partial ideas or twisted ideas, is really, you're going to see that a lot of things in life, but especially how we look at God and how we look at Jesus, are formed from our perception. You know what perception is, right? It's the lens the lens. That you see the world through. It's the way that you see the world around you. How many know you don't see the world as it is? You know that, right? You know, you're not completely objective all the time. You don't see things as clear as they are. You've been influenced. You've been jaded. Uh, they come from all different places, but you don't see the world as it is. You actually see the world as you are. That's how your perception is formed, isn't it? Sometimes your perception comes from your personality. Like, how many know, how many ever done a personality test? Raise your hands, you've done that. You're a DISC, you're a a lion, a beaver, a a dog, you're a chloric, a something. You've done that, right? I love that, but but the test holds true that there are different personality traits and temperaments and types. And guess what? The way that you are dictates how you see the world. And so when you have certain personality traits, you just see the world through the lens of your own personality. Sometimes this isn't the most basic of things. Some people in life are born kind of positive. They're glass half full people, right? You you know some of those people. How many of you are glass half full people? Raise your hand. How many? Okay, a little little nervous. How many are glass half empty? A little more... how many of you did not raise your hand right now? You didn't raise your hand. You have no idea. I'll tell you later. Come see me. Um, to, to, to give you an example, they, they, did, they did a thing where they took two boys, and one of them was the positive kid, half more than full, just everything in life is wonderful. Then they took a negative kid, and they took them both, and they both did this experiment. They took the negative kid. They put him in a room full of nothing but awesome toys. Just loaded with all kinds of cool, new, fun toys. And they put him in the room. They wanted to see what he would do. They took the other boy, the positive, happy kid, and they put him in a room full of manure. And they shut the doors. They wanted to see what would take place. They come back 20 minutes later. The negative kid, surrounded by toys, is in the room crying. Mad, upset. And they ask him, why are you so upset? He goes, well, I'm so upset because there's so many toys, I don't know which one to play with. Then they went into the room full of manure and the happy positive kid and they found that he had taken manure and flung it everywhere. He was covered in manure, there was manure everywhere. They said, "Kid, what in the world are you doing?" They said, "With this much manure, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere." And so 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 just just your personality dictates who you are. When you have how many you have multiple kids, raise your hand, you have multiple kids. How many know when your kids come out, they're different, aren't they? Like, you would think, how can two or three different little little beings come from, you know, me and come out completely different? You know what I mean? Like, wh- why is it that one kid comes out this way and the other this way? And as a, as a, as a non-parent, I used to judge you parents. Right? You used to judge, you know, parents because you were be like, your kid's crazy. You're, you need to spank that kid. Or, you know, you would have all these judgments about what, you, what was wrong with that kid. Or, you know, I, well, my kids will never be like that. And then you have kids. And then you're humbled. You're changed. You thought, you thought I won't let that happen to my kid. And your kid's worse. I'm just kidding. Your kid's not worse. But anyway, my point is, my point is they just come out different because they have different personalities and your personality shapes your perception. Here's another thought. Not only does your personality shape your perception, your past shapes your perception. I mean, there's just certain experiences that you have in life. Like if you grew, I know this. If you grew up with like a strict, harsh, militant dad, you form a perception of God that God is this militant God. Like God is all all about the list and the rules and He's getting you every time and you see things like this. And and it's not it's not that God's really like that. It's that you're like that because of your past experiences. And we we can go through the list. I've seen people who were who went through incredible abuses and because of their abuse, they they looked down upon themselves and they thought, I'm not a lovable person. So when they came to their heavenly father, they actually perceived God as being distanced because they thought how could God ever love a person like me? And so, w- w- is God really like that? No. But but you're like that. I'll, I'll give you mine. When I was a kid, I had a dad who had a comment for everything, which I find myself like now today. But anyway, I got a comment for everything. And my dad had comments, and I can't repeat them in church, because although my dad was a believer in God, he, he was fast and loose with his lips. And uh, is there any that I can say? Let's well, not. Let's not even go there. So So, anyway... Uh, my dad always had a comment for everything, and and I would do dumb things, right? Because I was not just a kid. I was a dumb kid, and I did lots of dumb things. And so every time I did something dumb, my dad would say, boy, that's so stupid. you like a monkey trying to do a math problem. And so he would – that was just one of the comments that I could say in church. It, it, it just came to me. And so it, it's, it's still there. It's it's in there. And so then I become a Christian. I come to my heavenly father. I'm trying to live for God. And then, of course, because I'm still human and I'm flawed and in, in, in just – My humanness, I make a mistake, and you know what? I go to God, and you know what I hear God say to me? Boy, you're so stupid. Why did you do that? Now, let me ask you a question. Did God ever say, Todd, you're so stupid? No, 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 no. But see, what happens is we put a filter in between our brain and God. And that filter is the perception through which we look out at life and through which we receive life. And then all of a sudden it comes to our relationship with God, and the perception creates this filter to where God's trying to maybe say, Todd, I want you to know this or to hear this. But then when I put it through my filter, it goes, and it's Todd, you're so stupid. So your perception of Jesus is something that alters. How you live this life out, because now the way that you've addressed Jesus, come to Jesus, receive Jesus, think about God, feel about God, it's affecting who you are. It's maybe limiting who you are. And so in this account, in Mark chapter 6, we see four different people groups make four different perceptions of Jesus, and they're all perceptions based on who they are, where they're at in life. And because of that, all three of them are a little bit right, or all four of them are a little bit right, all four are a little bit wrong. All at the same time. Are you ready? Mark chapter 6. Let's go on this journey together. Mark chapter 6. The Bible says this. This is verse 1. Jesus left there and went to his hometown. So where was he at? You can say it's not a trick question, but say hometown. Y'all are so nervous with me. Like, it's, it's just right there. So where did he go? So he went home. He went to his hometown. He was accompanied by his disciples. And when the Sabbath came, it was church day for them. He began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him they were amazed. It sounds like this is going good so far. Where did this man get these things they asked. What's this wisdom that's been given to him? He even does miracles. Isn't this the what? Yeah, where is it at? I totally I'm reading from what's you got to keep going next scripture here. Isn't this the what? Come on, come on scripture person stay with me here. Um, so we, where did he go? Okay, everybody, everybody say hometown. Okay, let's try it again now. Where did he go? And what did they think he was? Okay, good. So, the, so the, he goes home and at first it seems like it's going really, really well. But they were like, wow, that's, this is good. That's good stuff. That's some good teaching right there. And, and the, they're amazing. This guy even does miracles. But the Bible says that, whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute. Isn't that the carpenter? Isn't that Mary's kid, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters among us and with us? And then they were offended at him. They almost got this like, wow, so good. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. who does he think he is coming up in here? See, if Jesus, that was his hometown, and that's where he grew up. We don't know when they when when he became a part of this hometown. We're not we're not one hundred percent sure, but we know it was before the age of twelve at least. And so, like, you got to think like. Maybe Jesus had babysitters. You can't just leave kids alone. What kind of parent are you? So, what if he had babysitters that changed his diaper? What I mean, like, you got to go back. Jesus was a historical figure, real person, okay? Like, Jesus, what if Jesus, I know he was sinless, but what if they were playing ball and he broke a window? I don't think that's a sin. That's an accident. Okay, what if, so... My point is, is that when you grow up in your hometown, that sometimes people just see you as that little kid. You ever felt like that? You went back to the reunion, and then all of a sudden your older uncle or your, your old grandma, they start pinching your cheek, and they start bringing Well, I remember when, and they start bringing up all this stuff that you used to do with your kid, and you've got a little bit of pride on the inside of you. She's like, man, get up off. I've grown. I'm grown up in here. You don't need to talk to me like that. You're chippy now because you think you're a grown-up, but yet they still see you as what? Excuse me a kid. And so that's, I think, what happened here is they're like, whoa, 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 Who do you think you are to get up in here and tell us who God is and tell us what we ought to do differently or, or teach the scriptures? Because I'd imagine that Jesus was a challenging preacher. I think he was flipping Judaism upside down many times on these people and really challenging everything they believe. And so eventually they get offended at him. And here's what you're going to find to be true all throughout life is that familiarity breeds contempt familiarity breeds contempt when you get so close to someone or something it's it's easy to take it for granted to take advantage of it to look down upon it why because it's it's so familiar this is why when you let's say this let's say you became a christian but your parents or your family is totally not when you went back to go and like try to like minister to your family wasn't that the most difficult thing in the world they didn't want to hear it from you they knew what you was like they don't care what you have to say now Oh, look, Reggie done found Jesus better than everybody else now. And so, so familiarity breeds this contempt where, where sometimes the people closest to you are the hardest ones to reach. Why? Because there's, there's too much closeness. You know what the real temptation is for you who are, um, how many of you grew up going to church and you were a kid going to church? There's a good chance that your temptation is to do this, to make Jesus too familiar, to dumb it down to where like, Hey, I, I've heard the Jesus thing. Yeah, 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 I grew up in Sunday school. Yeah, 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 I went to VBS. I, yeah, 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 I was baptized. Yeah, 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 I already know all the stories. If you've been in church too long, this can happen. You've been in church for decades now. You're like, I've heard all there is. I already know. Ain't nothing new coming out to me. And so what happens is, is because you are so close to church and you think you know everything, your familiarity breeds this this sense of contempt where now the very thing that should be amazing to you isn't because it's too close and it's too familiar. You've now taken it for granted. And some of us do that every every Sunday. We walk into church and we think we know, or we've already heard, or I and, and so because of that, we don't engage in worship in an authentic way anymore. We don't listen to the sermon in an authentic way anymore. Why? Because we're, it's, it's just too a little bit too familiar. And that's what happened to these people. It was so bad. The Bible says that they were offended at him. But then in a, in a couple of verses later, if you read it on your own, it says that Jesus could do no miracles because of their unbelief. Now that's a fascinating thought. I thought Jesus could just do whatever he wanted, whenever he. The Bible says he could do no because of their disbelief. So this was something that blocked them from really receiving God for who He was. They took Jesus and they dumbed him down and say, "Man, he's just a what? A carpenter." Now, now, let me ask you a question. But was he a carpenter? Yeah, he was the son of a carpenter. Now, he was a rabbi, but he was the son of a carpenter. He grew up around carpentry, and every kid kind of learned their father's trade in that day. So was he a carpenter? And so in light of that, you could miss this beautiful thought, this radical notion that actually he was the carpenter. He wasn't this carpenter that they thought he was. But think about the beauty of God coming down and stripping himself of majesty and glory and wonder and making himself in such a human likeness and human form to where he was just a carpenter. Meaning like Jesus was God in the flesh and he became so close that you could touch him. He was so close you could hang out with him. He was so close you could spend time with him and ask him questions. He was so close that he could touch you and heal your wounds. That's how close he was. So The, the fact that God was willing to become so close is an amazing idea. Listen to what the the author of Hebrews says. He said, we do not have this big high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but actually because he came to earth like a human, he was in all points tempted just like we were. Meaning Jesus, because of his humanity, had the ability to sympathize with you in a way that some distant being maybe never could. Like, the fact is that he was a carpenter, but he only became the carpenter for your benefit. They just missed it. So were they right? Yeah. Were they wrong? Yeah. Next group of people. The Bible says, uh, later in this same chapter, verse number 14, that King Herod, all right, so the first place he went to was his hometown, and they thought he was a what? So the second group of people, it's not really a group, it's a person, and it's King Herod. I say Herod. Herod. Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. He had heard about Jesus' life and teaching and miracles and all the stir that was going on about Jesus. Some were saying that John the Baptist has been risen from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said he is Elijah. Others still claimed he is a prophet, or like one of the prophets of long ago. And still others claimed he is a what? You gotta, come on, scripture prayer. He is a what? Okay, so who's the person that we're talking about? Okay. Everybody say Herod. Who did he think that Jesus was? A prophet. I'm going to get you all there. I know you lost an hour's sleep. This is probably the wrong sermon to have you all yell stuff at me all day. But I'm going to get you there. All right, let me ask you a question. Was Jesus a prophet? Yes, he was. He was a prophet. Um, he, he's hanging out with this woman by the well, and she's asking him these questions. And Jesus finally says, uh, I want you to go get your husband. And she goes, well, I don't have a husband. And he goes, well, I know that because I know the five husbands that you had before this and the guy that you are shacked up with now, he ain't your husband. So, uh, And she goes, mm. <laughs> this, is, this is what she said. She goes, mm, I perceive you are a prophet. <laughs> He later prophesied the destruction of the temple, which happened in 70 A.D. by Titus, the Roman emperor. Jesus was a prophet. The question would be this. Is he the prophet that Herod thought that he was? No, and I'll tell you why. The reason why Herod thought that he was a prophet was because of this uh, sticky, dramatic, uh, soap opera-ish thing. So Herod was a king, but so were his other two brothers. He had taken his brother's wife and was having an affair with his brother's wife. His brother's wife didn't want... Because John the Baptist had come and preached and said, everything you're doing is wrong and sinful, and Herod was being convicted. And all the people were mad at Herod for doing this as well, and so it was causing a social political stir. So this woman... the. That he's having an affair with. Her name is Herodias, and so what she does is 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 a scandalous. She takes her daughter, who's apparently superfly, and and basically has her go do a seductive dance at a party in shindig. Uh, John the Baptist is so seduced and caught up with this girl that he says and he makes a vow in front of other people and says, "I'll give you whatever you want, up to half the kingdom." She goes back to her mom, Herodias, and says, "Mom." Uh, it worked. What should I ask him for? She says, you go back and tell him you want the head of John the Baptist on a silver platter. And so the Bible says that Herod, even though he didn't want to kill John the Baptist, because he had made a vow, he was having to fulfill this vow. And he literally sent, he had already imprisoned John the Baptist to get him to shut up. But he literally sent and they brought the head of John the Baptist on a, this isn't a euphemism. They brought the head of John the Baptist on a silver platter to the party. That's jacked up. So when you do things like that, all of a sudden, again, he didn't see Jesus for the prophet that he was. He saw Jesus through the lens of his own guilt and his own shame because of what he had done. Because that's what the prophet did. Many times in the Old Testament, the prophet either kind of pointed out the future, but many times, this is what you might not see, is they would always point out the sin of the nation. They were the ones always calling the nation to repent and return to God. They were always calling out the king for their sin and calling the king to repent and the people to repent. And so what does Herod see when he sees Jesus? He doesn't see his kindness. He doesn't see his grace. He sees his own guilt and shame. And so then you have this tension here, because here's the reality. Jesus really was a prophet. He was the prophet. And so now you have this tension between, like, the guilt that Herod experienced because of his sin or, or or the conviction that Jesus wants to bring when we sin. Because guilt says things like, you're bad. Conviction says, you're better than this. There's a difference. Guilt, guilt says, you'll never be good enough. Conviction says, your life can be so much better. The reason why God convicts us of sin is to draw us out of something that will hurt us, to draw us out of something that will bind us and keep us crippled in life. The reason why God convicts us of sin is because God loves us and wants us to experience the most abundant life possible. But guilt does the opposite, doesn't it? Have you ever seen guilt drive people away? You ever seen guilt in a relationship where somebody did something really, really bad? What, what is the natural human inclination to happen? What it takes place after you sin? You run, you hide, you cover up, and what happens is, is you end up pushing God away because you 're not good enough now you ever heard you ever heard this you ever heard the person, and you it 's not you because you 're here today, but it 's the person that says well i'm not ready to come to God, I need to clean my life up first, <laughs> which is so dumb which it's, it's like it's like saying, "I need to get healed before I go see my doctor i'm going to work on some things before i go it's like saying i 'm going to lose some weight before I go see my trainer it it just It's probably not the best way to live life. But why do you feel that way? Why do you feel like you're not good enough to be at church? You don't measure up at church. Listen, none of us measure up. Nobody in this place. I don't measure up. That's not why I'm here. I'm here because God is good, not because I'm good. Does that make sense? And so don't let Herod's filter. Don't let the filter of guilt and shame drive a wedge between you and God when all God is wanting to do is draw you closer to him. Was Jesus a prophet? Was he the prophet that Herod thought that he was? No. Next group of people. John chapter 6. I'm sorry, Mark chapter 6. Let me me do this. In Mark chapter 6, the very next story is Jesus feeding 5,000 people. You remember the story? Jesus takes bread, fish, breaks it, prays for it, and they start distributing food to feed 5,000 people, not including women and children is what the Bible says. And so it's just this incredible, huge, miraculous miracle. It's the only miracle that's in all four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's a fascinating thing. Here's the deal, though. John chapter 6 gets one verse in that kind of gets really, really descriptive on what we're going to talk about today. So let's listen to this. John chapter 6, verse 14. This is the, the feeding of the 5,000. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is what? This is a prophet, right? So they were on board with that idea. Who was to come into the world. And Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him a what? It's easy when I point to it, right? Then you're never nervous. Like, am I going to mess this up? Okay, so the first set of people was his hometown. They thought he was a carpenter. The second set of people was King Herod. They thought he was a prophet. The third group of people were the people that were a part of the miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. And they thought, we're down with this guy. We want to make him a what? So you see, Jesus... See, how did they fill in the blank? Jesus is the carpenter. They filled in the blank. Jesus is the prophet. They filled in the blank. For this one, Jesus is king. That's how they filled it in, right? Now, here's what you need to know. In their society, they're an agricultural society. They're living a long, long time ago where they lived hand-to-mouth, meaning like they didn't have Walmart or Costco. They did not have Safeway or Trader Joe's. God bless them all. They did not have refrigeration. They did not have so many of these things. What did they have? Whatever you could get your hands on for the day. That's what they had. Does that make sense? They lived hand-to-mouth society. So, how awesome is it? When a person comes along and has the ability to feed the masses, what do you want to do with that guy? Make him the king. Put that guy in charge. Now, let me ask you a question Was Jesus a king? But I don't think he was the king that they wanted to be. What they wanted him to be was the guy who gave them food. Does that make sense? And there's, there's nothing wrong with that. I just want you to see that they, they had what American Christians struggle with today, which is this consumerism mentality to Christianity. This is why we come to church to say, what can I get out of church? What can the church do for me? I don't know if I like that sermon. I don't know if I like the worship. I don't know because what it is is it's me focused. It's not Jesus focused. And so we, we, we're consuming and we go to wherever we think we can consume the best typically. Now don't get me wrong, if you're in a bad church environment, get out. But don't go to church for the pure sake of being a consumer. Because what happens is when you adopt these mentalities, you go to God like a consumer. You're like, God, what have you done for me lately? And when God hasn't done a lot for you lately, your faith weakens or your commitment weakens. And I'm, I'm telling you, it's just based purely on, well, God is the divine butler. God is the divine vending machine. I push buttons, I say these prayers, and God ought to do things for me. And when we have that mentality, we have complete—we have made ourselves just like these people. We want to make Jesus a king as long as I get what I want out of it. I'll make Jesus a king as long as he does everything I need him to do. And we have so reversed the system. And so then we end up with a generation of people who are so disappointed in God, not because God has done anything wrong, but because you came to him with the wrong perception but was jesus a king yeah, yeah of course he was he was the king of kings Pilate asked jesus that question he goes are you the king they had they had basically accused him of blasphemy because he had claimed to be god and he had disrupted the temple system and caused them a lot of money. And everybody was mad at Jesus. All these hierarchy figures were mad at Jesus, so they wanted to get rid of him. But they didn't want the blood on their hands, so they turned him over to Rome. And Pilate, the governor from Rome, is like, hey, these guys want to kill you. I could set you free. And Jesus laughs. No, you can't. Um, My life is my own. I lay it down when I want. If I wanted, angels could show up. This thing could all get crazy. But listen, that's not how this works. But Pilate asked him the question, are you a king? And Jesus said, it is just as you had said. But I'm not a king that's trying to create a kingdom on this world. I want to be a king that is never limited to any territory, to any political system, to any boundary. I want to be a king that sits on the throne of people's hearts. That way I don't care what political system you're in or where you're at or what generation or what culture. No, 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 I can be in all places at all times because I can sit on the throne of people's hearts. So was Jesus a king? Yes. He just wasn't the king They wanted him to be. Last group. Are you ready? Mark chapter 6, verse number 47. The Bible says this is the last group of people. So again, first hometown, they thought he was a carpenter. Second, Herod thought he was a prophet. The third people, people that got happy meals all day, they wanted to make Jesus what? A king. Last group of people. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he, Jesus, was alone on the land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. So apparently disciples are in a boat trying to get across Jesus is on land. Got it? About the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them walking on the lake. I love this part. He was about to pass them by. Isn't that funny? So the fourth watch of the night was the last watch of the night. So this is like you know, maybe 4 a.m., 3 a.m., it is so dark. Now, you got to remember that they're not a very scientific community and culture just yet, and so they still believe in certain folklore and legend and things like that, and so if you saw something walking on the water in the middle of the night, what would you think? Okay, I just... Trying to make sure we're on the same page here, because this, this is a real story. This really happened. If you was up in that boat, what would you do? If you saw some, somebody... and I love the fact that Jesus it says that Jesus was going to pass them by, meaning like he was walking by, he's like, man, they're having a tough time. <sighs> too bad. And he just keeps going, like they're straining at rowing. They can't get through because of the wind and the waves. And Jesus is like, that's too bad. And he just keeps, which is some fascinating theological questions that we don't have time to get into right now. Let's we'll keep going. I don't have time. I don't have time. What time is it? If you're taking medicine, it's 11.12. But, everybody say but. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a what? A ghost. So the fourth group of people were the disciples, and Jesus is ghost. Now, let me ask you a question. Was Jesus a ghost? No, he wasn't a ghost. I kind of roped you into that one a little bit. Okay. Okay was jesus casper the friendly was it jesus the friendly ghost you know but don't get twisted after the resurrection he apparently walked through a wall i don't know let let me ask you this let's reframe this in a slightly was there something mysterious about jesus good but was he a ghost no, he wasn't a ghost, but if you were in that boat, you'd have been flipping out too, right? You'd have been freaking out, tripping, like, what? And, and that's what they did. So they thought he was a ghost. Now, was he a ghost? Definitely not the ghost that they thought he was. And then when you read the text, it says this. It says, they cried out. That's what you would have done. Ah, because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them and said, take courage. Don't be afraid. So it's like, hey, just chill out. It's just me. Here's, here's what I want you to, you to see, is that Jesus is not Casper, the friendly Messiah. But there is something kind of fascinating about him. There's definitely something mysterious about him. There's something that's hard to fully comprehend. There's all these different ways in which Jesus is confounding, in which ways God is confounding. Like that whole Trinity thing. So God is Father, God's the Son. Oh, wait a minute, I thought he was the Father. But is He the Son? Yes. But then there's the Holy Spirit? Yes. So God is three or is He one? Yes. How is God three and one at the same time? I don't know. I'm not going to explain it to you, but like even then, it's going to be difficult for some of you to swallow. Because although God can be three and one all at the same time, the reason why you have a hard time accepting and receiving all that is simply because there is no comparison in all of this world. There's nothing like him. Is God three? Yes. Is he one? Yes. How does he do that at the same time? He's God. He gets to pull off stuff like that. Let, let me ask you this. Is Would God be wonderful if his own finite creation could figure him out? No. It's what makes God God. If God could create something that was so smart that he could figure out who God was, God wouldn't then be wondrous and wonderful. Does that make sense? So, so how is Jesus all God and all man? I don't know. How does God predestine everything and yet still at the same time give you free will? I don't know. Tension, balance, divinity. <laughs> I, I, there are certain things that I, I'm okay with not fully being able to explain. But I'm comfortable with the tension because it's what, make, it's what makes God wonderful. Does, does that make sense? There's Like where did God come from? I don't know. Apparently it's the wrong question to ask. Because to, to say where did God come from would just say that God had a beginning, but God's eternal, so He doesn't have a beginning or an ending. So he even ask the question, where does God come from, is the wrong question. It's much like asking, who is the bachelor's wife? It's an illogical question. Chew on that for a moment. So, my point is, is that God is wonderful. And mysterious, that he's amazing in so many ways. And so in this story, what I want you to see is that a group of people thought he was the carpenter and they were a little bit right, but mostly wrong. And another group of people thought he was a prophet and they were a little bit right, but mostly wrong. And a third, we go on down the list, they thought he was a king and they were kind of right, but they were completely wrong. And then you have the, he's definitely not Casper the friendly Jesus, but he is mysterious. And so, like, what you find is this, is that to these people, Jesus was just confusing. Does that make sense? Like, nobody fully understood all of it. Nobody got the full picture of it and the full grasp of it. And so you say, Todd, why did you tell me all this? I wanted you to to tell you all this because at the end, here's what I want you to know that, yeah, to these people, Jesus was confusing. But even more than that, Jesus was more than you could ever imagine. He's bigger, greater, grander, more awesome. He is not completely comprehensible. Because that's because he's God. And if you could comprehend all that there was to be about God, then God would no longer be wonderful. So what do I want you to do? There's this moment that Jesus has with the disciples. It's in it's, it's a different time and setting. And he says these words to him. This is John fifteen fifteen. He says these words. He says, I no longer call you servants because, well, a servant doesn't know his master's business. Meaning like he just does the work, says yes, and gets about the business. Instead, I call you friends. And listen to this. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. How awesome is it that, that God has invited you in? And is he big? Is he grand? Is he beyond your fully being able to comprehend? Absolutely. But he invites you in to a relationship. Not to a creed and a set of rules and a membership and a sign up and you were really bad today and you were really good. Today. No, 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 no. He invites you into a relationship. And he says, as you come into this relationship, here's the cool part about great friendship, is great friends get insider information. And I want to make known to you all of my mysteries, and I want to make known to you who I am so that I am a carpenter, but I'm the right carpenter. And I am a prophet in your life, but the right prophet. And I am the king that sits on the throne of your heart. And I am the thing that creates so much mystery and awe and wonder that I can't help but to be worshipped. I want to invite you into that relationship so that I can begin to show you all things. And so if you're here today and you say, now I've never, I've never even said yes to Jesus, then just say yes and begin to take a step in the right direction. Just begin to ask the right questions. Begin to pursue just a little bit because God wants to show you who he is. I had an experience just yesterday. Um, my son and his buddy um, decided that they wanted to do a lemonade stand. And, um, you know, they're both kind of 10, 11 years old. and wanted to, They're in money-making mode right now. So they're all about the business. And, and so the newest business model is, is lemonade stand. And so sure enough, they, uh, they have no plan whatsoever, um, no business model. So they come to me. They hoodooed all the parents into pulling this off and um and so, like I you know so some parents are providing the table, and then we got the the you know the big poster board thing they made, and we got lemonade i 'm out just just getting some good old country time powder and some water, you know what I mean the cheap lemonade and and, and so we're we 're doing all this together, and then Max comes out with this bag, and i don 't know what it is' it 's a bag, and inside of it are these papers with rubber band o- over it, and we 're setting everything up for the day and it, and I read the front of the bag and it says, "Secret." recipe and i'm confused i'm like wait a minute is, is, is it just a recipe with words on it i actually thought he had like powder stuff in there so it's so i'm like max i need to this is up in my yard i can't get sued for you selling something crazy okay so like i need to know what's in that he's like i can't tell you it says it right there on the bag pastor it says secret I'm, I'm Max, I'm your business partner. I'm your investor. I bought all this junk, okay? You're going to tell me what's up You're in my yard. You're gonna t- he says, no, it's a secret. Oh, my gosh. I'm, I'm, I'm about to flip my lid. Like, kid, listen. And then I'm like, explain. I'm like, you realize you're about to sell this recipe for 50 cents, and then it will no longer be uh, a secret anymore. But could you please, before we sell anything crazy to our neighborhood kids, can you please tell me what's in this? And then finally he's like, oh, okay, well, here, here's what it is. My point is that many of us look at Jesus, and it's, and it's in a bag, and it's all tied up, and there's rubber bands, and it says secret on it, and we're like, we don't know. We're just confused. We're not sure. And so you know what we do? We take our own perception, and we start imagining what's in Jesus, and we start coming up with our own ideas of what's in Jesus. And, and guess what? Because of our flawed perception and our brokenness and our humanity, we always come up with something that might be just a little bit right, but it's sometimes many a lot of wrong, right? And we come up with these ideas of Jesus and what Jesus is wanting to do is he's invited you into a relationship so he can say, look, I know it seems to be a little bit odd, but I want to make known to you all the secrets, all the mysteries. I want to unravel to you who I am because God wants to enter into that relationship with you. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you're in here today and you say, man, God has always been this distant thing. Jesus has always been a confusing thing. Yeah, I went to church, but it was because my parents made me go. Or, yeah, I go because my wife or my husband make me go. But, like, it's just a thing. It's more a religious thing. I don't think it's personal. Then today's the day that I want you to make a step towards God. I want you to make a a prayer and say, Jesus, I want to know you more. I, I don't want Jesus to be confusing to me anymore. I actually want to know you. I want you to let me in on insider information so that I might know what's in your heart and what is in your mind and what is your ways and how would you want to live me to live my life and, and what purpose and plan do you have for my life? God wants to let you in on that stuff, but you've got to kind of enter into that relationship, Jesus, I want to know you more. So if you're in here today and you say, that's me, I need to take that step towards Jesus, then on the count of three, I just want you to raise your hand. Everybody's head bowed and eye closed. It's just between me, you, and God. And just say, yeah, I I want to take a step towards Jesus. If that's you, on the count of three, slip your hand up in the air. One, two, three, and put your hand up in the air. Yeah, 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 yeah. I want Jesus to be more than a historical figure with a bunch of old stories, with people with weird names. I, I, I want Jesus to be more than just something odd or confusing. Or I want him to be more than just my parents' religion. Absolutely. Here's what I want to do this morning, is I want us to all pray a prayer together. And if you just feel uncomfortable, you, know, you don't have to, but here's what I want you to do. Church family, I want us to all pray this prayer, and we're going to pray it out loud. Why not you pray out loud so you can hear it with your own ears. And I'm going to lead you in this really, really simple little prayer. Everybody say this with me. Everybody say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and change my life. You are mysterious. But you are wonderful. Be in my life. Show me who you are. Help me to know you. Help me to follow you as you show me how. I believe that you lived that you died, that you rose again for me. Help me, Lord. It's in your name that I pray. Give me a good gospel amen out there and a a big hand clap if you can.